Wow. Amen. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. And I receive it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1 says that there is a law that comes from our mother. And for Christians, we have two mothers that are revealed in Scripture. And one is the church. The church of Jesus Christ is to be honored. And just like regular mommies can fail big time, ultimately our life has come from them. And likewise, honoring the church is the desire and design of God. And may he restore her in fullness. She is called the bride of God, God's wife. So we honor the church today, and we honor all of the moms out there, every mother. We bless you, and we pray a blessing on all of your offspring. And it's my delight on this Mother's Day that I get to share the word. I had asked for an opportunity, and honestly, it didn't occur to me until this moment that it's really fitting together right here today. I, I do have something that I would love for us to think about this morning in the season and time that we're in. Praise the Lord. I want to especially um, uh, contribute or offer the encouragement of this message to uh, Dear father and mother in our church congregation, Joey and Ruth Parker, on this Mother's Day, um, the Parker's son, Joel, passed away suddenly from complications of sickle cell uh, just two days ago. And so today, I dedicate our time together to them and to their family and to Joel's family, his wife and children. And we bless the Lord for Joey and Ruth and their heritage and their legacy and what a tremendous strength and blessing as a central part of this particular local congregation they always are to us. So we bless them today and remember them in our prayers. Hallelujah. I love the line in one of the songs that Michael led us in this morning, let me be singing when the evening comes. And it's a line that is speaking towards the end of all things or the end of the age or the end of our lives, our lives individually. Let me be singing when the evening comes. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed this thing about me is that the further a day rolls on, my strength, my tenacity, my Christian graces <laughs> begin to fade a bit, get a little weaker, a little less exuberant and clear and devoted and dedicated perhaps than when you first wake up in the morning. And we want to be singing 
when the evening comes. We want each of us who are citizens of the kingdom, who have been given the grace to believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ and become citizens of another kingdom, an eternal one, and be reunited, reconciled with our Father God. We want to live this life well. I'm reminded when I think about things like that, of course, of the Apostle Paul and his exhortations to Timothy and where he said that he was getting ready to be poured out like a drink offering. Um, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. He knew that he was about to be martyred. It wasn't that he was, you know, ill and slowly dying or something, but he was about to make the ultimate sacrifice, his life, as a gift offering for the Lord Jesus Christ in Paul's calling. And he knew, Paul knew, as many of the Old Testament and New Testament spokespersons in our scriptures knew that they had an appointment to speak to the kings and rulers and kingdoms of their day. And Paul knew that the ultimate culmination, had the crossing of the finish line, so to speak, for him, was to stand before the man who was, at that time, the ruler of the whole world and preach the gospel of the kingdom to him. And so Paul was running that last stretch of the race toward that finish line, knowing for certain, he said, I have fought my departure as at hand, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let me be singing when the evening comes. As strong or stronger at the end of this life's journey, at the end of the race, at the end of a trial through a storm than at the beginning. And he says, and finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give me on that day and all those who love his appearing. The evening when he appears and the brand new day will begin. Hallelujah. So my message today is dedicated to patient endurance in the faith. And it's a unique opportunity in these days of the corona, COVID crisis, the global pandemic. And we've come through a very interesting season around the world. We're headed right now, the ship of the world is headed towards the churches, one of the church's greatest events. It's not just a traditional ritual. It's the commemoration of a very significant event. And that event was the coming of the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, the sovereign Lord himself into the earth to particularly indwell every human being who has received Jesus Christ. This is a stunning and significant and real event for all who believe in him. 
We are born again, recreated, but not just left to ourselves. Jesus told his disciples when he was getting ready to ascend, it is better for you that I go away because when I go to the Father, we will send the Spirit and the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you. And the Holy Spirit is not some diminished uh, spirit, something, you know, uh, indescribable. He is a person. He is the sovereign Lord. And he is also the living Lord who inhabits the church, each member individually and congregations locally and congregations of congregations within cities. And that is where the kingdom is touching earth, dwelling, as scripture says, in two dimensions simultaneously with Christ in his throne and in earth full of the Spirit of God. So praise the Lord. So we're moving towards Pentecost. Pentecost is three weeks away. And I'm taken with that first Pentecost event in Acts 2. Jesus told his disciples, I want you to wait until you are endued with power. Can you say power? Power with power from on high. He said, it's better for you that I go away because when I go, someone else will come to be not just with you as I am or have been, but also in you. And this is the uniqueness of Pentecost. It's absolutely revolutionary because once again, for the first time since the Garden of Eden, there is a, a unique virgin, if you will, communion with man and God. Jesus rent the veil of separation through the giving of his body, and now we are welcome to the presence of God. But we cannot see the kingdom or know him except we be born again by the spirit of adoption, whereby we say, oh, our heavenly father, God, you are my father. And receive him and then in that way everything is set back in order we were created the human race was created in the image and likeness of god a triune being and we are triune we are body soul and spirit and the bible says that through the corruption that entered the world through sin when the first family abdicated and absconded from god that corruption began and that we became, as a human race, spiritually dead. So we had a soul, mind, will, and emotion, and a body. But the spirit part, that image of God peace that was formed in relation and communion with him, died. And that's why the gospel is so significant. Because it gives every person who receives him their true selves, their recovery, their true beginning, their real identity, reconciled to the Father and then spirit-led first. You know how many times the New Testament speaks of the earth groaning and travailing, looking for the sons of God, those who are led by the Spirit. Why? Because the only way for God to be inhabiting and having his way, his counsel, his love, his beauty, in 
his acts into the earth is in those in whom he lives by his spirit. Led by the spirit, they are the sons of God. The human race was created to be spirit-led first. Our spirit in solidarity and communion with the spirit of God and then our mind, will, and emotions surrounding, enwrapping the movement of the Spirit, hearing from Him, following, and then our bodies as the suitcase, so to speak, the servant of that will of the Father. And so I want to pause a few moments this morning and think about something that is very important for every human being who is led by the Spirit of God. And that is patient endurance. Let me be singing when the evening comes. Let us be singing when we have gone through this temporary, painful storm called coronavirus pandemic. Let us be singing at the close of the age, should we be alive when Jesus appears. Let us be singing when our days are done. And each of us will have a day is done. And I'm praying today for a fresh reworking of those graces and places in me that honestly, by the end of every day, are a little vaporous. And I would love to be much more vibrant in faith, in joy, in grace and righteousness. Let me be singing when the evening comes. So we're moving towards Pentecost, the first day of this advent of the Spirit of God into the vessels of the covenant, the people of the covenant. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter, who had previously denied Jesus three times in his most critical hour and even sworn about it, that he didn't know him. And then in his, when Jesus was resurrected, he came specifically to Peter and renewed Peter and commissioned Peter. Peter's big goof did not disqualify him. Jesus has a mission and a mindset, a purpose for you and I individually and collectively together corporately in our generation. And there is nothing that will deter him from his ardent desire to complete his purpose in each of us and his grander purpose in the earth. So we can take courage and take heart today. So Peter stands up. When the Holy Ghost comes, and I'll reserve those events, Pastor and I will make comments about that on Pentecost Sunday, but we'll reserve those comments for now. I want to go to the end after he preaches this amazing sermon where he brings together the history of the world, the history of the Jews, the where the Gentile kingdoms are at, what's happening in his city, the fulfillment of all the messianic promises, and then preaches to them, now it's up to you. And the whole crowd says, what do we do? They're looking around saying, what's the answer? What do we do? And if there is one question that the whole world is asking right now, it's 
the same question that they asked that day on the day of Pentecost. What do we do in this scenario? Peter said very simply, change your mind. Renovate the way you're thinking about this world and turn around. Repent. Change your mind and turn and go in the right direction. Repent. And then he said, and receive. Receive what? The promise of the Father. He was speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit. So can we just do that afresh today? Right where we are, each one of us. Just turn. You can turn clear around if you'd like. And say, put your hands out like you're receiving a gift. And say, Lord Jesus, I receive your promise afresh today. The gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. And you know how a gift is? So all you got to do is open it and start enjoying it. Start using it. Start partaking of it. This promise is to you, to your children, mothers everywhere, and to all who are far off. I appreciate Michael speaking to us today that God is encouraging us that there is salvation for whole households. There is reconciliation for whole households. As many as the Lord our God will call in. God is not willing that anyone not hear his voice and respond. Praise the Lord. So the world with the coronavirus pandemic saying, what shall we do? For several months... I have been hovering in the book of Daniel. And as the pandemic unfolded across the world, for me, I felt like the entire world was looking up to see, to, to ask, what shall we do? And I, taking inspiration from Daniel, I said, this reminds me of that moment in Daniel chapter 5 where the then ruler of the whole world, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, whom Daniel served under in the same era, prophetic era, as Ezekiel and Isaiah, if you can imagine, and Daniel, all three of them had part of their tenure overlapping during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And it's no wonder to me that Nebuchadnezzar actually turned and received. It's a, the most incredible story there in, in Daniel. Um, in Daniel chapter 4, where it is written originally in the king's own hand and in the language that was received universally, where he made his confession about how basically he had become power drunk and had gone insane thinking that he had built this whole kingdom for himself and was so grand and great, so on and so forth. And suddenly, he lost it all. And he literally lost his mind. He became 
like a beast in the field, like a wild beast, which is very interesting because Scripture again and again likens human kingdoms under the, just the avarice and whatever inventions of human beings left on their own, not connected and communing with the Father, with the King of kings, the governor of nations, that kingdoms, governments, and systems ultimately become wild beasts, warring and preying on one another, competing with one another, and trampling and devouring, ultimately, the people that they are ruling over. And that's the way God pictures the human judgments of human systems apart from God, governments around the world. And we don't have to emphasize that anymore to see how true it is. But the point is that it contrasts that with the Lamb of God, the Lion who is the Lamb, who is the ruler of the kingdom. The kingdom that is spreading, that is recovering, that is taking over the whole earth, ultimately. And do you know how the advance goes? One heart at a time, one house at a time, one family at a time. But today, this kingdom is literally spread throughout the world. There is not a place, not a land, where there is not at least one. That kingdom, praise the Lord. That's Daniel's vision where he saw the stone made without hands, cut out without hands, and thrown from heaven onto the earth. And it hit the foundations of the great statue that represented all the kingdoms of the world at Dan that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed of. And it hit the very foundations of those systems, of those kingdoms. And I would suggest that this global pandemic, where it is not sent by God, and I am fully persuaded of that, and the reason I am is because the righteous judge, Jesus Christ, the one John sees in his revelation of Jesus Christ, dressed as the judge, the lamb slain, the lion of Judah, Jewish. Jesus still identifies himself as with the Jewish people, so make a little note there, all you anti-Semites. And he is standing in the midst of the church, but he, he is dressed as a judge of John's day. And when John saw him, it said he fell as dead at his feet. And when Jesus, the Son of God, gave himself, one of the amazing things about salvation for all those who receive him is that he took the judgments that were against us individually. But there is also a wider salvation. The king of the whole world who created everything and for whom all things are created took in himself the judgments that were against them. And so while evil may come, and things like this pandemic, it is evil no matter how it started or what. The spread of it is evil. The impact of it is evil. It is a horrible, dark storm that is impacting in terrible ways nearly every family on the earth. But see God. God in his great wisdom his unique majesty and humility. I want to tell you something. No less 
than Jesus who came walking on the water when his disciples were caught in a great and terrible storm on the Sea of Galilee. Our God is walking over the waves in this terrible storm. And it's very important that the disciples of Jesus see him in this storm. It's interesting because in that picture, they were obviously taken up by the storm in the Gospels. But the storm was actually driving their boat to a destination where Jesus had a prearranged appointment with two men, the Bible says, were demonized, were fierce, were violent such that the entire region where they lived was under terror, shut in their homes because of these two demonized men. And Jesus was on the way and taking his disciples with him to that destination. And I want to suggest to you that he is walking in this storm and we need to see him. And his intention is deliverance and salvation for some who are crying to him, who have been crying out to him way before this happened. And I love the way that story ends, and I don't hear very many people speaking about it. But it says in two of the Gospels that there were two men. In one of the Gospels, it only names one. But where it just names one man, Jesus healed two men, those two that were terrorizing the whole region. And it only goes further on the story of one of them. Do you know why that is? It's because out of the two who were completely delivered, restored, and healed, only one of them was transformed in such a way that he became a citizen of that new kingdom. And he was the one who begged Jesus to be able to go with him and be his disciple. But you know what? He was a Gentile and probably the first Gentile evangelist. He lived in a place called the Ten Cities. It was a, a crossroads, an epicenter of commerce and trade and people passing, and a, a tremendous opportunity of public square influence and preaching the kingdom. And Jesus said, no, go back and tell people what's happened to you. It's a very overlooked story in our preaching. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But the Bible says that they were fierce, those men. I want to come back to that in just a moment. So in the book of Daniel, one of the images that was so strong for me as this pandemic spread and everything shut down and people were looking up saying, what do we do? What's the answer? It was as though I said, you know what? If the Lord could see, the hand of God is literally writing for every kingdom to see, just exactly like he did in the days of Daniel chapter 5, when by now Nebuchadnezzar, who repented, was completely restored and in his right mind, had written down his testimony and then told everyone that Daniel's God was the only true and living God and the God to be served. Nebuchadnezzar's own son 
did not follow in his father's footsteps. Where Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself, uh, Belshazzar stood up and went down that same path of aren't I grand and glorious. And you're probably familiar with the, the story. They were having a, basically a drunken orgy. And they were drinking from these valuable vessels of gold and silver that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem. There were things that were devoted to God, literal, very valuable vessels devoted to God. You and I are valuable vessels devoted to God. And Belshazzar and his lords and ladies were using them for their pleasures and, you know, and praising their gods of gold and silver. Things that for them in their uh, system were valuable. What a perversion. And it was into that moment that the hand of God began to write on the wall. And if you can imagine being there and suddenly a hand comes down and literally is, it inscribed monetary values. It inscribed twice the value of 50 shekels. And then it inscribed once the value of one shekel. And then the hand wrote the symbol for a half shekel. It was a diminishing value of things. And at the end, it was literally a division of something cut in half. And as they're watching this event, someone says, you know, that guy Daniel, he used to tell your dad how, how things would go. He could interpret things like this. And so they call for Daniel, and Belshazzar says, you know, if you can um, tell me the interpretation and explain this enigma, I'm going to clothe you in purple and give you, put a gold chain around your neck, and you'll be third most powerful in my kingdom. A typical political ploy. And Daniel says, keep your stuff. Keep your money. I have no interest in valuing the things that you value, but I'm going to tell you the value of this sign. And he explains it to him. And he says in verse 26, after he repeats 50 shekels, 50 shekels, one shekel, half a shekel, this is the interpretation of each word, that God has numbered your kingdom and finished it that you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. That's where the aspect of judgment enters in. Judgment in what way? Judgment in evaluating what is of value and what is worthless, of light and darkness, good and evil, right and wrong. And friends, especially in the Western world, we have been overtaken, and frankly, more dangerously, our children are being pressed to worship, to bow to a system that idolizes something called tolerance. But the definition of tolerance in the new Western humanized modern age is not what tolerant used to mean. Tolerant used to mean that you knew your truth, 
that you understood your values and your systems and you were very clear and committed. And you could have a conversation with others whose opinions were different from your own. And you could entertain that conversation without having to conform to it or necessarily be changed by it if you were holding to the truth. But now, tolerance means you don't have any absolute truth. There is no real moral law. And it strikes right at the heart of identity, ultimately. But this is what our children are being taught about tolerance. We are very involved in some of the works here in our city. And right at the very beginning, as, as the cry went out, the, the invitation went out to hundreds of churches here, one of the first questions asked, is it inclusive? And it wasn't talking about the old definition of tolerance. It was, we will participate only if you recognize our values, which happened to be directly against, opposite of, the biblical values. And we're talking about the church now, churches. And in the course of the volunteer thing, the answer to that was yes, we want everybody to be able to participate in this event to try and help in our city. So, I'll let that rest there for a moment. Praise the Lord. So anyway, and Daniel, um, the last one was, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And it says that Belshazzar apparently didn't really believe what happened, but because Daniel interpreted it, he gave him the robe and the gold chain and said, you'll be third in the kingdom. And that night... He was killed. Belshazzar was killed. His kingdom was divided. And the new king that came in was an older fella, 62 or so. So he'd been around a while and had a little wisdom. And he honored Daniel. And he brought Daniel in as an advisor in his kingdom. Many lessons there for us in this coronavirus pandemic. But kingdoms and systems and individuals and the church are all being evaluated during this time. That's where Jesus is in this storm and has an intention. But I'll say it again. He took the judgments in his own body. Now he stands as judge, able to say what is right and wrong and good and bad. Haggai chapter 2 something very fitting, very telling of the season that we're in. In this one as well, there is an evaluation being made. In the beginning of the chapter, the Lord speaks through Haggai the prophet, and he asks the governors, both the secular government and the spiritual government, the priests, he says, Who's left among you who saw the old temple? And how do you see this new one that's being built? How are you weighing them? How are you comparing them? What does it look like to your eyes? It looks like not much, right? That's exactly what, in my version, what's going on here. And this is what he says, and here's the word for you and I. Yet now, in spite of what it looks like right now, be strong. 
<laughs> says the Lord, be strong. Turn to your family member or whoever there, or turn to yourself and say, be strong. Yet now, be strong, says the Lord. Be strong. Say it again. Be strong. Be strong. Say it again. All you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, get about the rebuilding. Work, keep the vision. Work, hang on to the mission. Be all the more committed and engaged. You have a calling. <laughs> work, for I am with you. And that is the ultimate infilling of the Holy Spirit, that I am that I am would come and put us on like a glove. That he who has ascended has also descended and is with and in us. And in these days, dealing with this pandemic and the various outfits, I believe that we're in for a protracted time of greater pain, economic pain. There's going to be a lot of blame shifting. In America, we've got elections coming up it's gonna get even more fierce. But, this is the word, be strong. Be strong, be strong and work, for I am with you, says the Lord. And he says, my spirit remains among you, so don't be afraid. Can you just take a deep breath? My spirit remains with you, so stop being afraid. I've got a plan. We've got work to do right now in this thing. And he says, I will shake heaven and I will shake earth. Why? So that everything that can be shaken, everything that needs to be reevaluated can be done so in this time. And I know that for many Christians, and many non-Christians, the very first central thing people are seeing very clearly, once again, is family. Because they're shut in with their spouses and with their children. And so suddenly, everything that's topsy-turvy and out of whack, or maybe good and healthy that needs to be even stronger, is being shown very clearly in our faces. Why is that? Why would that be one of the central first things in that this is an opportunity for God? I'll tell you why. Because when he began society, human society, he showed the blueprint. The blueprint was for a man and a woman in communion with God and covenanted together producing offspring that the whole society began to grow and flourish in communion with God. And what I've just described to you is a far cry from world societies now. And more particularly in the West. Most particularly in the West. In the West, that these words of tolerance and inclusive and the redefinition of marriage and the legalization of abortion and the promotion of welfare systems that degrade and further uh, uh, tear apart healthy family units. It's corruption. And God is giving an opportunity for us to see these systems where they're broken and begin 
to repair, repent, repair, and rebuild. So be strong and work, for I am with you, says the Lord. I will shake all nations, and they will come to the desire of all nations. God's intention in shaking in any season and every season, and he shakes principalities and powers in the heavens, as well as kings and systems and individuals on the earth. He allows that shaking so that the things that need to be repaired, changed, repented of, thrown off, can come to the surface and be dealt with. And that times of restoration and refreshing can come from the Lord. This is God's intention behind this pandemic. He didn't start it. He didn't send it. But he is riding with us in the storm. They shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with my glory. What temple? His church, his people, those individuals, those families, those congregations, those congregations of congregations in cities. I will fill this temple with my glory. And then he says, you want to know value? The silver and gold is mine. I evaluate things, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place where? In the kingdom of God. As citizens of the kingdom. Right here, right now, in the earth, in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a global pandemic, affecting every single house and person. Um, mostly negative, I will give shalom. So peace to you today and patient endurance from the Lord. He goes on to say to, to Zerubbabel, the governor, the political leader, I will shake heaven and earth, overthrow the throne of kingdoms, destroy the strength of kingdoms, overthrow, in this language, chariots and those who ride in them, the horses and their riders shall come down. He's speaking of man's systems, those wild beast governance systems. And then he says, everyone by the sword of his brother. In Matthew 24, Jesus speaks of the end of the age. And in that speaking, he says, fierce times are coming. Paul, the apostle, said it to Timothy. I, I want to go there in just a moment and look at that as we, as we bring things together. But it says that nation will rise against nation. A mother and a daughter will be against one another within their own households. That the kingdom of God will bring a sword, literally. Because the judge will be coming down, dropping the plumb line, and things will begin to be distinguished between. And it will cause trouble. <laughs> There's some distinguishing going on in, a, in American politics right now. There's the uncovering of all kinds of deep corruption that's been there forever and we've known about it and whatever. But this crisis has made it so crucial and so painful that now people are either choosing to be insane and stand in these broken principles or repent and say, oh, now I see it. Now we will make the change. Lord, have mercy on us. Praise the Lord. And in that day, says the Lord, I will take you, say me, he's taken me, my servant, and make you like a signet ring. You know what the signet ring is? 
It's the image of the king to seal a document, to finish an agreement, to make a covenant, to speak in his name, to carry that authority. Make you tarry until you're endued with power and the spirit of God came. Make you like a signet ring because I have chosen you, says the Lord. Amen. So we bless you as chosen ones this morning. Two more things as the final part of this message. And that is a description. We heard um, Barry Siegel brought this out in our Healing the Nations conference. And if you haven't had an opportunity, I encourage you to um, check out our archives before they're not there anymore. I, I think they're still up. But in any case, Barry from Jerusalem came, preached to us, of, uh, or exhorted us with a very profound and powerful prophetic um, picture out of Isaiah 24. And listen to this and see if this doesn't sound like the global pandemic. It says, the earth is empty, distorted, its inhabitants scattered, as with the people, so with the priests, as with the servant, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be entirely empty and utterly plundered. That's exactly what's happened with this pandemic. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and the haughty people, the prideful ones, are languishing. Like Madonna in her bath with roses floating around in it, calling the pandemic the great equalizer. Seriously? Verse 5. The earth is defiled under its inhabitants because they've done three things. Transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, and broken the everlasting covenant, indicating that God had a creative pattern, a creation pattern, a moral law of the universe with a way that men should walk, that governments should walk, that societies should be, that families should be. And it's been broken down. And therefore, the earth is languishing and mourning and everything has been emptied out. That's the great equalizer. Transgress the laws, change the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. And I'll say again, perfect example is what's happened to the idea of family. God doesn't accept any pattern other than the one he gave. That's the one. And he has one eternal covenant, and that's through the blood and body of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now reigning and ruling over the kingdoms of the world. Praise the Lord. And so lastly, I want to go to 2 Timothy, a place we're all familiar. And I, I want to start in verse 2, and I want to pick up where I started in the beginning, about endurance. And um, in verse 10, by the way, I have a thought that came to me, so you'll have to bear with me on this one. Derek used to give this example. 
He said, corruption that entered the world through sin in Adam and Eve and then entered into creation that Adam and Eve had been given the governance of, had been given the husbandry, if you would, the stewardship of the earth. The corruption that entered is like when a piece of fruit begins to rot. You cannot unrot it. Period. You can put it in the refrigerator and it'll kind of slow it down, but you cannot uncorrupt it. You have to start all over again. And that is exactly the difference between world kingdoms and the kingdom of God. That is exactly why every human being must be born again. It's in order to replant an incorruptible seed in us. That incorruptible seed is for righteousness, for communion, being conformed to the image of Christ, but it is also the incorruptible seed that is not subject any longer to death. And the Spirit of God in us will raise us up in the last day and we will be clothed again with an indestructible body. Come on! Hallelujah! Incorruptible. But one of the things that I was thinking about, and I'll just say this, is that in the attempt of human kindness and compassion, one of the things that America did was create a welfare system. And however, in human terms, it may have sounded like a good idea, it was corrupt. It had in it the seed of death that ultimately would pay women not to be married but have a lot of children, would promote the abortion industry as a result of that ultimately, and would dehumanize all those who became dependents of it because the Bible is very clear that human beings were made, the first man and woman were made to garden, were made to work, and dignity and identity comes out of that. And this human system that is supposedly compassionate and kind is corrupted, and it has broken the idea of family, and it has made it impossible for anyone dependent upon it to have human dignity. A man who doesn't work shouldn't eat. So, that's just a little example. In 1992, every American, now I'm talking different from the welfare system, I'm talking about the national debt now, there's another example. There is corruption in it and it can't get healed. You have to start over and you have to do it with God's plan and there are different fundamentals that need to be corrected. My goodness, when I saw that $25 million that should have gone to small businesses went instead to an arts center and then they let everybody go, that's corruption. Anyway, uh, in 1992, it was scandalous that the national debt was such that every American citizen, when they're born, owed $500. Lord, don't you wish that could... Do you know what it is today? 70,000. The first breath out of mama's body. The system is a corrupt one. has no God insight in it. This is where the kingdom of God has to step up and show the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, light and darkness, wisdom and foolishness. And God is ready and waiting and willing to make it so. And he patiently does it little by little, 
from small spheres to greater ones. And so we pray that the Spirit of God come on us, fall on us, fall afresh on the earth, fall on his people, fall on those who have not received him and give them the revelation of Jesus Christ in this season of Pentecost. Because the church is the only hope of the world. Why? Not because we're great or righteous, but because we have the possibility of hearing from God and working with him. Praise the Lord. Last thing I want to say. 2 Timothy says, Therefore, in verse 10 in chapter 2, Paul the Apostle, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Jesus Christ to eternal glory. For this saying is faithful. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. When John sees Jesus, the judge, the lamb slain as the lion of Judah in the midst of the lampstand, the churches at the end of the age. He addresses a personal letter, Jesus does, to each one of the then existent churches that John would be traveling to or sending letters to, to exhort and strengthen. In the midst of the Roman Empire, another kingdom was taking root and beginning to rise, the kingdom of God. And as John sent the letters, the words of Jesus, they're filled with promises, but they start with an evaluation. The judge puts out the scale. And he says, these things are good, these things not so good. Repent and strengthen the things that are good. And then he says, to him who overcomes, I will give. And there's enumerated many precious promises. But it is only and always to him who overcomes. So I exhort you today, we have overcome in him because he has overcome the world. So be refreshed in his presence and in his person that you might have patient endurance in this season. Not just to hang on, but to excel, to complete the mission, to begin a new thing. He says, nevertheless, the, founda the solid foundation of God stands Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from lawlessness. And then he goes on to pick up those images of a house that has vessels of gold and silver. He's referring right back to things in the temple. Throws us back to the images from Daniel. Forward into John's revelation of Jesus. He said, flee youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. They only create more strife. And the servant of the Lord shouldn't quarrel, but be gentle to everyone and able to teach, patient and in humility correcting those who are in op opposition that God may bring repentance. But know this, say this, but know this. 
in these last days, fierce times will come. Some translations say perilous. And he goes on to list 18 things. And if you go and look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 this week, you will find our modern world described to a T. And the apostle roots these 18 things that contribute to the fierce times. And by the way, the word fierce, perilous there. The only other place in scripture, that word, same word is used. Those demonized men that Jesus went to when he went through the storm. That two men were keeping an entire region shut into their houses because of fear. That's fierce. And he said, these last days will be fierce like that. People will be shut in, afraid, because of the torments and the dangers, the threats, the violence, the out-of-hand ungodliness, wickedness, righteousness. He's speaking to us, and it's a good word today. And he roots these 18 things in three loves. He said, men will be lovers of themselves, Lovers of money and lovers of pleasure. Always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. He says, but you, but you carefully follow the truth, the manner of living, the manner of purpose of faith with long-suffering and love and perseverance in the face of persecutions and afflictions. Endure. Endure. To him who overcomes, I will give a new name, a crown of righteousness, a place in the throne with God my Father. Hallelujah. So I bless you today on this Mother's Day from one of the mothers in this house to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance on you today and give you his peace. And so as we close out our time together, we also remember our mother Jerusalem, the one who will come ultimately down out of heaven to retake her place at the center of the new created earth as a bride adorned for her husband. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem for the sake of our families and our friends. We bless Jerusalem today. May they prosper who love her. Amen. Happy Mother's Day.